0: talked a lot about how often you encounter people who are just dramatically underdeveloped, you know, and a lot of times our temptation is to focus on all the external matters, uh, really than to do the hard work internally Mm -hmm. and I'd like for you to speak about that. I know you drill down a lot on things of responsibility versus blame. Uh, Why is it so hard to do the internal work and why is it where are we missing it in the maturity conversation
1: well I think at the core of all of us is whether we feel like we're okay we feel like we're loved etc so let's just take for an example yeah Uh, right now a popular term especially in the psych field is trauma so everybody has trauma, you know, big T trauma, little t trauma, you know, and, and uh, it's amazing when you sit down with people, how often, if you get to talking about this, somebody's carrying some massive trauma out of their history. And it can be going to war, and it can be violation by a family member, and it can be sexual, and it can be physical, and it can be emotional, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we, we clamp down on those because there's shame attached to them a lot of times. It's like, maybe I deserve this. Maybe this traumatizing event, whatever it was, uh, was something that I merited in some way. And that's why I say it's not your fault a lot of times to people because I think we're forever hiding that stuff. And God wants us to live exposed and vulnerable and Authentic and present and that means I have to be able to tell my whole story I can't hide I I have to push back against secrets and all that kind of stuff all those things are toxic to internal development and very few of us can traffic in that with freedom and we don't trust others with it because we think they'll misuse it against us and a lot of times they do it's why gossip is so heinous Uh, when we hear somebody's story and then you know I'm prone to it myself I can sometimes not remember people's names and I remember that they're divorced for instance and you think that's probably not the nicest thing to remember about them you know it's it's one of their life events but that doesn't define who they are Mm. and but but a lot of times it does define who they are just like having a heart attack defines people sometimes I am a heart attack or I am a divorcee or whatever becomes their identity and I think that's what grace shows up grace gives you a sense of self that transcends if you will uh, whatever events occur in your life so a lot of times these these events get blown up and maybe yeah. the easiest way to describe it is like this if I took a small disc and I put it right up against my eye and closed my other eye the only thing I would see is the disc mm. and if I put the disc that back down here on the table uh, it wouldn't it's like a 50 cent piece, it wouldn't be very big and it wouldn't be in the way and I could see everything then. The disc represents oftentimes those experiences that are toxic or corrosive or destructive. Where they are perceptually determines hmm. what they, how they uh, impact us. And, and I think when Paul gives a list of the things that he goes through, shipwrecks and beatings and all this stuff, he's, he's trying to give you a perspective that it's not the events. Mm. that determine whether you can follow after God with vengeance if you will Uh, it's how I where they're placed in my perceptual field if you will you can't get rid of the event
0: would you say then we
1: focus too much sometimes on the event of course and or we put it in the wrong place you know instead of having it here where I can get at it it's up here and it occludes everything so if if it's here by my my vision yeah I can't see you it's in the way it's the first thing I lead with it's what I'm thinking about all the time if I put it down here I could say well it's an event I wish it wasn't there I hate it that it's part of my history but guess what it is
0: yeah and that's where the practical side of me is like what are the steps of putting it down like how does someone take an experience that is a painful experience, you know, horrible, one. and it has marked them significantly. But how
1: do they put it in their rightful place? I did a seminar one time with a guy who wrote a book about storytelling, and hmm. I thought I had it nailed at this time. time. <laughs> and I said, if you can get your story straight, you've done the work that you need to do. Hmm. And I couldn't have been more wrong. It's important to get your story straight. Hey, this trauma happened. It was awful. Uh, it has in, it's colored my whole life, but it's not my whole life. It's just an event. The trauma needs to be put in its place, if you will. So there's a difference between a trauma trigger that makes me remember that event and the real, and the truth about what's happening right now. So I always say it this way: reality is a subset of truth. So if this represents truth, and what the Bible says, truth sets you free. Well, part of my truth is reality, so a lot of times when something's triggered out of my past, say a childhood memory, that's toxic, that I've hidden, that I'm ashamed of, that it hurts or I don't want to think about it anymore, uh, it's triggered and it feels the same. So Nancy and I have a story in our own marriage where I did something that wasn't really loving and she Remembered it and I couldn't say i was sorry because I didn't understand it and it was just a mess Every time we talk about that event now we're 50 years married and this event happened within the first 15 years of our marriage uh, It's like it's real. It's like we're right back there at the same event has the same emotional feeling, etc But it's not the same Mm. And it's not the truth about where we are right now but it's real Mm. so I have to be able to separate the the real feelings from the truth. The truth is, this is not happening right now. I I give my my best example is a gal that was sexually abused and she was dissociating in my office because she was thinking about that sexual abuse. and And the reality of it came flooding back to her. And I got up and I stood behind the chair and I said, what's happening right now? And she kind of looked up at me, and she said, well, nothing, and I said, between us, what's happening? She said, nothing, and I said, well, that's the truth of what's happening right now. How how do you feel? And she said, I feel like I can hear his footsteps coming down the hall. Wow. And so the feeling was real, but the truth was that wasn't happening. Hmm. Her job was to be able to separate those two. That's perceptual shifting. And to give more weight
0: to truth over your perceived That's right,
1: exactly and to be able to, to make the move over to this context right now yeah. and to say this is not happening
0: well, i was reading this article and it was talking about water from a well and it was saying that the water at the base of the well is the same temperature year round But when people go to the well in the summer and they take a drink of the water, they say, oh, it's cool, it's refreshing. And when they go to the well in the winter, they think, oh, it's warm and soothing. And that is a very real experience. Like in the moment, this is cool and refreshing. In the moment, this is warm and soothing. But at the end of the day, it's still the same temperature. Mm. The the truth is the, the temperature of the water has not changed, but your experience of its temperature is different. Your perception at that moment. Yeah, and I find that in my, my lifetime, it seems, and I don't know if this is an accurate read, but this is what it seems to me, that our emphasis on our interpretation of reality is skyrocketing while our appreciation and value of the truth is plummeting.
1: Well, part of that is because it's so hard to do community. The closer we live in proximity, the more people are on the planet, the more uh, the pandemic, for instance, accelerated in my mind at least, accelerated our disconnect from one another. We were isolated. We couldn't see people's faces. I mean, they're just on and on. There's all kinds of dimensionality that occurred there. Uh, And it makes it all the more difficult to make a connection with another person. And so Hmm. uh, what we need to do carry this load Galatians 6 says we are to bear one another's burdens and yeah. the word burden is actually the same Greek word that's used a little later in chapter 6 where it says carry your own load The word load and burden are the same Greek word burden is an overload it simply means that yeah. I need help I need somebody else to help me carry the weight of it so you and I can't carry a piano you can carry your own backpack right mm. So I just think the challenge for us is to uh, realize we need other people to give to help us have this perspective. Now, sequentially, and I know you're kind
0: of anti-formulas, you know, you feel like sometimes they can be restrictive. But when I look at the Galatians passage and it talks about carry your own load and then bear each other's burdens, I think we, there seems to be an order there, that hey, as an individual, you, you need to you have a responsibility, yeah. Like, become an individual who can first off carry your own load, be become a, a pe- person of stability, maturity, the, the whole development process. Also, that you can be of value in relationship, you know, that you can bear the burdens of others.
1: Maybe, a, maybe a way to think about that, agree, uh, would be to. Uh, get yourself off your hands would be a, a phrase I like to use. Get yourself off your hands. So if I have myself on my hands, okay. <laughs> I'm carrying my own load. My own load is all I can carry. I just think I'm overwhelmed by this. I can just barely make it. I, I don't have, I can't use these hands for anybody else. Wow. But if I can carry my own load, I can then, what? So how do you get them off your hands? How do well, you get yourself off your hands? Well, this is, this is part of, this is part of the, of the beauty of God's grace because what God's grace says to you is you're finite you're limited you you need help I guess would be the way to say it you know
0: (laughs) that's a a powerful statement that
1: if most people could just make that statement I need help (laughs) and I'm so independent it's really hard for me to say that I just a minute ago it took me a minute to get that out I think but I it's it's the realization that we are designed to be relational. We're designed. That's what. That's why God created in the first place. Yeah. He's having fun in the Trinity, with His Son and the Spirit, and He says, "I want to share this with you. I yeah. want. I want you to find delight in, and joy in, and fullness in, and robustness and flourishing in this relational thing. And when relations work well, you are drawn to them and they're attractive and that's what god does all through scripture he keeps inviting us in he doesn't push us he invites us into these places Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting the very first thing he said to adam after they left the garden and were kicked out of the garden he says he invites he invites essentially invites adam out to coffee he says it's going to be a rough ride what you chose you're going to need somebody to go along with you where are you adam it's not like he didn't know where he was. Yeah. You know, so it, the, just even those personal things are so important, but we're so isolated now. Yeah. And we think, oh, if I'm traumatized in this way and I'm damaged in this way, then nobody would want to be around me. Or, or, or I'm going to be too toxic. Or if they find this out about me, they'll reject me. And so we hide. Because of
0: our generational gaps you know maybe others can learn to to lean into a space and and understand where others are coming from and how they interpret or perceive things but i find that when it comes to the therapy conversation the 60 and older crowd has a whole set of stereotypes and resistance to the idea
1: means you're crazy
0: oh yeah and on the flip side when i think of the 30 and under crowd they, they almost wallow and celebrate, you know, victimhood. <laughs> they can't get out of it. Can't, yeah, it's, it's can't super interesting. Cells can't from it on the other side. And so leading a congregation where both are present is a unique dynamic.
1: It is. And, and I uh, like parachurch ministries. Uh, I think therapy, for instance, is an artificial conversation. In a sense uh, simply because there's this power transfer one person's a, the knower in a way you know the doctors the knower and the yeah and and but the thing that always shows up in all the research is the very same thing it's relationship to matters hmm. there's a recent book written called the good life and it's about a Harvard study the, the only longitudinal study on people's development over a lifetime and it's it's a phenomenal study it's lasted for 70 80 years now and and rigorous right and they the people that started it have died off and and they they're following the kids of the people that were in the original study but wow. the one thing they found out the one single thing that they said matters the most out of all of this is healthy relationships really so it's it's being in community, it's being known, it's wrestling with that, having friendships, having somebody to, having some running buddies, whatever, right? Why do groups matter so much? Why do we need that so much? Well, we, we find now we're more and more isolated. And what the pandemic has done is it's got us more connected, the more, yeah, more connected through, you know, texts and emails and all that, and we, th- and we feel this massive amount of connection, but the truth is we're finite people that are limited, and because we're limited, we can only do a few of these well, and so if we spread it out over this large amount, we don't make any real substantive connections, so nobody really knows us, and we become more and more isolated, and isolation does one thing every time. It distorts perception, and whether it's, you know, whether putting somebody in solitary confinement, it, it picks
0: the coin back up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it all of a sudden I am this coin, and this coin occludes my seeing almost everything else that's going on in my life. So back to my storytelling earlier, uh, I think it's not. It's getting your story straight is one step. The real thing is then that once I get my story straight, I cannot believe it anymore. Yeah. I realize I could be a lot of things. I happen to be a psychologist and a minister okay so those are two things that I've done but there's a ton of other things that I could do yeah and so I'm not a psychologist or a minister I'm HUD God's man in a sense Uh, I don't need to go any further I get to do these other things yeah but that's not my identity so the identity piece becomes enormous and it's massive in this industry that we're in called ministry because most people get their identity out of what they do, not of a, based on who they are. And so this is the crazy piece of the puzzle that we all need. Wholeness means that I'm secure, got yeah. myself off my hands. I know God loves me. Let's get on with this. The biblical message, I think, when Jesus gets after the Pharisees, yeah. and he calls them whitewashed sepulchers, and I mean snakes, and whatever else he calls them, uh, in that passage he uses the term hypocrite i think six or seven times right hypocrite is actually a theater term you're playing a role and god doesn't want you to play a role he wants you to be you Mm -hmm. and we want people to play a role because if you play that role then i feel better right Uh, but if you're really raw and you and present and you got yourself off your hands and then i i don't have a category for you because I feel exposed when I'm in your presence and that's exactly what you should feel. And and it's fascinating to me, I don't know why this is triggered, but uh, Jesus uses only two words to describe himself in all of scripture. God describes himself all over the place, Hmm. but Jesus only once and that's in Matthew 11 and he describes himself using these two words, gentle, humble. So there's something about that, right? Only the strong can be gentle, and you follow the word gentle through scripture and it 's pretty impactful. James talks about the gentleness of wisdom, for instance, uh, so real wisdom produces gentleness, not strength, in the sense of power over somebody it it's, it's the use of power in service of somebody else wow. it's being able to give yourself away and not worry about the outcome or the whatever the press is, or you name it and the And then humility becomes this massive thing. Peter says, put on humility. You know why? Yeah. Because it's so significant. Those are two words you would not think Jesus would ever use to describe himself, who was the king of the universe, uh, you know, the healer of mankind, the creator of the world. I mean, just read the first part of Colossians, and it's just this, just draped in his divinity and his power and his godness, right? Yeah and he uses two words. Wow. He says, I'm gentle and humble. And, and I think we mis- wow. misplace that, I guess. We lose it somehow. You know, I think in this,
0: the two catalytic concepts are, are humility and grace. Uh, I think one falls on our end and one falls on God's side of the deal. And one statement I've heard you make is probably one of the most striking definitions of humility that I've heard. Mm. You say, humility is taking your place. I love that.
1: Yeah, I think, think of how often Paul says things like, don't think of yourself more highly. Yeah. Or use sober judgment. He's actually saying, don't think of yourself more lowly either. <laughs> Think of yourself, what? With sound mind, this is who God made you to be. He didn't make you God. Yeah. He made you to be you, and you need to be fully you, wholly you, if you will, Uh, integrated you, uh, healed you, restored you, reconciled you, whatever, uh, redeemed, yeah.
0: Humility is It's critical to repentance. Absolutely
1: critical.
0: You know, it is a key component in repentance, and repentance releases grace. You know, I I think there is um, so much grace being left on the table just because people aren't opening their hearts and minds to it. In many ways, I think.
1: Well, repentance. My short definition of repentance: metanoia in the Greek. Yeah. Uh, You know. Turn around and, you know, people do all kinds of things with it. But my definition of it is it's change the way you think. Yeah. Change your perception.
0: I think I used to understand repentance as regret. I think I now see it more as remorse, where early on it was I would repent because I broke God's boundaries. Now my repentance is, oh, I broke God's heart. Like I'm in relationship with my creator and my behavior is uh, heartbreaking.
1: Well, what if, what if you made it a little less severe and said, God's given you the job of being pastor in this church. Yeah. So, yay God. He's, he's allowed you to have that. Well, if you take your place, you'll realize that's a position not doesn't have anything to do with who you are as a person. Yeah. Right? You just have to be doing this job. You could do a whole lot of other jobs. Uh, God wouldn't love you anymore or any less. You can't earn or lose what he's given you. That's what grace says. Yeah. And and so shifting that perception mm-hmm. means that I no longer am weighting my job equal to my person. I know that this is simply uh, an artifact of time and history and place. We're here, we're not some other place. You know, I flew here from 1,500 miles away. And, okay, so, but I'm here. I'm not there now. And so I can only be in one place at a time. And we pretend, we we manufacture all this. So repentance means that I see it more accurately. That's the shift. Yeah. And, And I have to repent sometimes of my own folly in terms of the way I see myself or misrepresenting God or... But it's a, it's a change in the way I see things. And I think that's maybe my biggest job is to rattle, disturb people's cages enough to say, you don't have to stay in there. You know, there's there's a complete open door on the back back of this cage. You're not really stuck yeah. here. And so much of how
0: you're getting people to change the way they see things is to stop focusing on all the external matters and start with focus the on the inside and Perfect. do the hard work internally that focuses on your personal development and maturity. And if you can make that shift, it's a game changer.
1: Maybe you feel like you don't pray enough. Okay. So I I give you some books on prayer, and I give you some techniques, and I give you some rhythms, and I give you some... Exercises and whatever else I can give you to help you understand what prayer can be. And prayer ought to be playful, actually. And we're forever doing ritual prayers. You know, I don't know. I remember my folks kind of praying the same prayer every dinner. Now, I've been married 58 years to a woman. Well, I've been with a woman 62 years now, three, something like that. I, I think, you know, throughout that whole relationship, uh... I've never had the same identical conversation twice, ever. Why would I do that with God? My point is, he wants us to be in an authentic, vibrant, that is so life-giving weird. relationship. But our prayers quite often are anything but, because mm-hmm. we have externalized them and made them rote. I think it's Isaiah 30 yeah. or Autopilot. Yeah, he says, your, your love for me consists of tradition learned by rote, but your hearts are far from me. Wow. What he wants is a heart, and that's, that's all he's asking for. And so when I get my heart straight, then you can do any job. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a professor or a you know, pastry yeah. maker. It doesn't matter. Wow,
0: Three I, ho- I, I hope that <laughs> resonates. To be in a relationship with someone for 62 years and never have the same conversation twice. Never. And that is how prayer should look.
1: Absolutely, alive.
0: You know, that's just...
1: Energized, present. Yeah, that's really good. We stay in this performance oriented, uh, production oriented way to think instead of having a purpose that says, I'm in a relationship with God and He really sees me as his beloved i am precious to him i'm careful about using that word by the way i used that with a nfl pro bowl guard one time who was talking about precious and i i said when did you when have you felt precious now this guy's bigger than the chair you're sitting in and i don't even know why where the word came from but he started crying And I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? You know, how do you console a 300 pound person that's snotty crying? You know, I mean, he just, uh, he said, nobody's ever said that word in a sentence with my name in it. Wow. And it started us on a, maybe one of the most fruitful conversations I've ever had because he was a big kid and athletically had super capacity. Everybody pushed him up here into this fabulous place right and he got all these accolades and you know for being a achiever and successful and what have you but he never felt precious the point is that your achievement can't bring preciousness to you yeah you know God says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased listen to him pay attention to him Uh, I'm delighting in him and he says the very same thing about us well I think most of us don't feel that we we, you know, Paul, Paul uses this phrase in Ephesians. He says, you are holy and righteous and beloved. That's how God sees you. And I've asked people, I said, do you think you're holy? Yeah. Hardly anybody will raise their hand. Do you think you're righteous? No. Some, few people say beloved, kind of, they kind of go this way. They don't raise it with vigor. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, that's how God sees us. So rooted in all this, wholeness has to do with my relationship with me being confident that God, death on the cross was for me to be able to access this very thing we're talking about. Yeah. But look at the things that get in the way, our history, our story. If I was traumatized as a child or violated as a child, that looms large in my developmental story, and I'm likely to believe that over and against God's grace and love for me. Yeah because it's so noisy, and it's so present, and it's so pushy, and it's so in my face. I just, I just think it's really a challenge to take a breath and- Is
0: it fair to say it, it all circles back to, to grace? It's a, it's a grace
1: matter? I think so. It's grace that saves us. Yeah. And <laughs> if, if it's grace that saves us, then it's grace that anchors this storyline.